Welcome to Marvel Vision, a podcast about Marvel, the MCU. And right now, Doctor Strange, I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about the original Doctor Strange movie from 2016, taking a flashback oh, there. But year. first, uh, what, a, what a wonderful year. <laughs> what a time to be Nothing alive. Nothing bad then. happened there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Hamilton was in full bloom. That's pretty much it. But I do want to welcome our guest for this episode, <laughs> a good friend of ours from back in the day. He is also a magic expert for being a comedy writer for Penn and Teller. He hosts Abracababble a behind-the-scenes podcast for Penn & Teller Fool Us, and a bunch of other things. I'm going to mention them anyway, even, you, even though you said I don't need to mention them. But you're one of the hosts of Penn Sunday School, Matt Mattingly's Ice Cream Social Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Donnelly. Hello, everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I oh appreciate it. Uh, now, and, we should say, yes. Matt Donnelly, our original director of <laughs> the right. show Comic Book Club. That's true. That, uh, yeah, but the back of the day at the pit... Uh, uh, you guys needed some direction, so uh, I just <laughs> hopped right in there. And you, know you what? saw and these it, three it young stuck. bucks. It all stuck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, honestly, Matt. Show. I haven't seen you at any of our meetings in the last uh, twelve years. Uh, yeah. so, uh, I, uh, I'm really good starting things, um, <laughs> and then then not so much in the finishing of things. So. Uh, well, Matt, we're very excited to have you here and check some facts about magic on Doctor Strange. <laughs> <But> <laughs> just to give a little bit of setup about the movie, as Pete mentioned, the movie came out November 4th, 2016, before some stuff went down in the world, I guess. Directed by Scott Derrickson, written by John Spates, Scott Derrickson, and C. Robert Cargill. This movie went through a lot of evolutions. It was one of the original things that Stan Lee wanted to create when he was trying to get movies going in the Marvel Universe. It finally came to fruition here with this team. A couple of things I'll throw out here right at the beginning, which folks may or may not remember. But initially, they wanted Benedict Cumberbatch to star in Doctor Strange, but he was unavailable because I believe he was doing Hamlet in London. So instead, they hired ah. Joaquin Phoenix was going Whoa. to be in. Oh, my God. Taking yeah. a turn. Yeah. And then That's Joaquin Phoenix one. was like, no, nah, actually, I can't do this. No, thank you. I have my Joker movie to do at some point. Yeah. So they got Benedict Cumberbatch back. They worked uh, on his schedule, and the rest is history. Uh, so there you go. Doctor Strange, uh, obviously, if you haven't seen it, spoilers here. We're going to get into full spoilers. But in the first movie, we find out the origin of Doctor Strange. He gets in a car crash. He goes to Comertage, trains in magic, and ultimately ends up saving the world from Cassilius, played by Mads Mikkelsen, and also Dormammu, played by, and I actually did not know this until I was looking up facts for the movie, Dormammu, the giant floating head he battles at the end, is played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Really? Oh. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Very, very, very much in the similar vein of like Eddie Murphy, right? He's playing mm -hmm. all the characters. <laughs> yeah. The, it's an homage to clumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's talk just generally about the movie first. Uh, I watched it again before this, Justin. I know you watched it again before this as well. What was your impression checking back with the movie again, Justin, after this, all this time? Honestly, this, this movie, I think, aged favorably. It made me... Uh, like this one more mm -hmm. than the the most recent one, than the sequel. This one I felt like had more like fun multiverse things when he like slips into the astral plane than the oh, multiverse yeah. of madness. I was yeah. so surprised by that. I totally agree. I was also very surprised because I think I've always thought about this as like mid to low tier Marvel, but 
like you said, it's very visually inventive. I think a lot of that is down to Scott Derrickson, who started as like a great horror director, came and did this, and then yeah. Report. You've, there's been a lot of reports in very different directions, but ha, reportedly had a very bad time trying to put together Doctor Strange 2, left, and then did an awesome small horror movie called The Black Phone instead, which I'm glad he did. Yeah. Uh, but like you're saying, like, there's a lot of plot. There's a lot of exposition in this movie still. Certainly. Uh, the There's not necessarily a ton of emotion, but visually, the fight scenes, everything that are going on are awesome. I think. Now, I saw this uh, 3D in the theaters, and this was a ton of fun. This was definitely like a very entertaining movie, visual wise. It was a it was a great time. Mm. Well, we get the introduction of sizzle strings, um, which are fun ways uh, to Sizz- travel. Sizzle and, strings. Yeah, when in the beginning, when um, they sizzle string the guy and then cut his head off. Oh right, okay. So yeah, they got the sizzle strings, which are long uh, rope things that they can create with their hands and throw out there. Yeah. And then they have sling yeah, they're rings. called J- they're called JT sizzle strings. <laughs> oh boy! Okay, wow. Well, what are my those are on my kids' list for Santa this year? They yeah. want JT sizzle strings. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck finding them. Good. That's, I got that's out. why I'm here in this uh, my warehouse. I need to pack up a bunch of these sizzle strings. Get them out the door. It's holiday season. Well, so uh, let's just generally talk about the magic here to go over to Matt for a second. One of the big things sure. in the, the movies, in both the movies, and this has gotten used in Spider-Man No Way Home. They also used it in Infinity War and Endgame, um, is the whole portal magic. Using the sling rings to create things also showed up in She-Hulk, among other places. This is a big deal. Uh, as somebody who is a big part of a show that fact-checks magic, how how real, how possible is the sling ring, Matt? I mean, uh, uh, as a visual, uh, it, it, what happens is that it, it, it cuts to uh, a core want of an audience, right? So, like, there there, there mm. is, this is, a, you know, uh, to move an object from one space and have it appear in another is a version of, you, you want that type of trick in your magic show, you know, uh, in right. one form or another. And, and there have been even like even some of the earliest like viral games on iPhones was one where you just kept doing that with the different holes and putting the holes in different places to get the different, you know. So it's like that it's, it's, it's yeah. something that like is in us. We want these things to exist. So it is it is on a key principle of magic. Can it be done on a stage show? Sure. It would be a very expensive stage show to make something like that happen. Um, you know, honestly, just the illusion of creating a ring that floats in the air would be the hardest part. Beginning things to go into it, disappear and appear somewhere else. That's not that hard. Um, did you in the the recent She Hulk series? There's a a magician character gets a sling ring and uses it in in his act. That's yeah, like my favorite the, part of that is they uh, expose him trying to make a dog appear in front of the judge. Yeah. Where he holds like a little hanky, and someone's like shoving the dog, and I laugh because I was like. They're making fun of the method, but that is the method. So, like, who, wow. you know, if you've ever seen a dog appear anywhere, it's it's by the same exact method that they're doing in the court as another guy clumsily shoving it behind the curtain. <laughs> well, wait, not to take a left turn here, but to talk about the yeah. She-Hulk thing for a second. That was obviously... Like, I felt like that was kind of playing the, oh, is it magic kind of dumb? This is a pretty stupid thing. You right. are somebody who's very steeped in magic and been working magic. How do you feel about that? 
It, it, you know, most of the time, if you're working in works of uh, fiction, magics are magicians are portrayed as uh, scumbags. Uh, uh, even, uh, Wait, is there any truth to that, though? That's the hundred percent is. That's the problem. Right? It's, a, it's like recent history of magic is fantastic. You go back to old magic, like. Uh, it's very much like, um, you know, like if, like India, right? Like, you know, like remember the Annie Kaufman movie where they're trying to like remove uh, medical stuff by rubbing mm-hmm. stuff on the hands. They're actually doing sleight of hands with shrimp or whatever. Do you guys remember this at all? Yeah. This, was, this is a real thing. This is a the, real thing. If you look at videos, it, it shows like people doing medical procedures where they're just rubbing on your people's bellies and it looks bloody and weird. And all of a sudden they pull things out and it's supposed to be getting rid of stuff. Um, you know, magic has been used to... to con people for a very long time you know uh there's like the poster you would see it you see alexander the man who knows you'll see that poster is one of the most famous magic posters that guy was a murderer and so uh, uh uh yes i think rightfully so is the answer you know it really was uh penn and teller and copperfield and doug henning who really changed the perception of magic uh in the modern way um, it's funny you mentioned David Copperfield. Yeah, um, here we go. Oh, when I was um, young, David Copperfield came to Syracuse, New York, where I grew up, mm-hmm. and he made me disappear on stage. I uh, my my brother was sort of tagged to be his assistant in the bit, uh, and he he got there backstage before the show, and the, he was too scared to do it. So they David Copperfield turned to my mom, his stage manager, who was in a panic suddenly. He was like, do you have any other kids? And she was like, I have another kid. And <laughs> he ran out to the audience, grabbed me, pulled me backstage. And I was like, fuck you, I'll get in the box. Let's go. I'm a stagecraft person. I'm going to meet uh, Matt Donnelly. He's going to direct me and start on our magical journey. But you got disappeared. Um, I got disappeared. That's the bit badass. was um, he put me in the box. Oh, it was awesome. He put me in the box and then he rolled out. There's a crank on the side and rolled out a flattened like paper version of me, which I don't know how they did that. Um, And then he went and put it back in the seat next to my parents. It was like, have a nice day. So it was like comedy and magic. It was was fun. And your parents raised that flat version of you for the next 12 years, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm the flat version. Stanley situation. Yeah. That's why I have very little like personality and emotions because I'm just a flat cardboard cutout, basically. Uh, Three-dimensional Justin was killed by sizzle strings. (laughs) 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 Truly tried. That's why this movie was fucked up for me to watch. (laughs) Well, let's get back to the movie for a second then. And I think I don't know. Know how we can after that. I mean, no, we're, just, done. we're done. <laughs> uh, I place a good place to start, I think, is Benedict Cumberbatch because we talked about they clearly wanted him for this movie very badly. He is a big part of several movies, like we've talked about. There's a teaser, perfect the credits. Well, that's the thing I was got to. Pete, you like Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange? Question. Mark. I, th- I think it's just one of those things <laughs> where you know, like a. Uh, Robert uh, Downey Jr. or Tony Stark, it's a perfect fit. And I think, uh, you know, uh, people online wanted it and they got it. And it just uh, it seemed to work, be a win win for everybody. Uh, It it seems strange to have a different Doctor Strange, uh, if you will. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's beautiful. Pete Pete Pete. said that like it was deep. And then I thought about it and I was like, (laughs) it's (laughs) awesome. Uh, that's I would say listen closely to Pete on all fronts from now on and you maybe have the same feeling um, I, in, in rewatching it I found that um, this the 
comic book Doctor Strange is very much, he was a jerk and then now he's like a very tempered um, magician hero. This guy's, this Doctor Strange is a dick before and sort of a dick afterwards too. (laughs) Yeah. I I think at least part of that uh, is because of the way Benedict Cumberbatch delivers his lines. I've talked about this, I think, on this very podcast before, but there's this thing when English actors are learning to use an American accent where they start shoving their voice like in the back of their throat a little bit and it's a Kermit situation. Yeah. It's a total Kermit situation. And it it always makes me feel like they're very uncomfortable to talk. Like their voice is sort of pushing out of their mouths a little bit. So I wonder if that affects the direction of his acting at all, potentially. You coming for the bats right now, dude? Are you saying that Cumberbatch was a bad choice for this role? No, he, he to me never felt comfortable being Doctor Strange until Doctor Strange 2. Doctor Strange 2 was the first time where mm. I was like, to me, it felt like he seemed comfortable in the role. He was kind of fluid. He was just sort of in it and having a good time and throwing out the jokes and throwing out the magic and everything. Uh, Matt, what what's your take on it, though? How do you feel well, about Well, you know, like, if you ever met anyone who's ever, uh, you know, if, if someone who's a doctor and they said they were going to be doctor from a kid, what happens is that everyone says yes. You know what I mean? Like, so like if you go up yeah. and say, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be an actor, I want to be a comedian. Everyone goes like, Ooh, good luck. Yeah. Uh, think about other things, have a backup plan. But when you grow up saying, I want to be a doctor, everyone just says, go buddy, go. Right. Yeah. And so every person I know who is a doctor, who's a friend of mine, who's a doctor shares the same kind of casual arrogance and condescension that Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> shares as Doctor Strange. So in that way, I feel like he is an authentic doctor. <laughs> All right. Well said. Fair enough. Well so, said. Justin, you seem a little more <laughs> negative, potentially, about him. Is that what I'm getting? That it was a Cumberbatch choice to have him. Oh, be come on, bro. Because he's too much of a Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Oh, man. Uh, no, I, I I think I like him in the role. I just think it's interesting. The movie seemed to make the choice to make him more of a jerk. And I, I think that sort of plays a little bit off of um, the Iron Man-ness. This movie seems to trace a lot of similar uh, character points as, as the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man movie. And so I think it makes sense that he sort of continues those, those personality traits the same way that Tony Stark does. Um, in this movie as well. Well, I think there's two sides to it, right? One, one end of it is they apparently spent a lot of time trying to figure out where in time they wanted to place the movie. Would it be an origin story? Like you're saying a la Tony Stark, were they actually going to start from the beginning or would he already be sorcerer Supreme, excuse me, and start there and kind of go from there, particularly because they had already mentioned him a couple of times throughout the various MCU movies before that. And ultimately they did make the decision that we see here, but to the point that, and this is one of my favorite iterations that never happened of Dr. Strange, there was a version, I believe it was in 2007, where Guillermo del Toro was pitching Dr. Strange with Neil Gaiman writing it. And their take on it was that he's been around since the 20s or 30s. He's been Sorcerer Supreme. He's a drunk. He's an alcoholic. He's never aged. And then we're picking up with him in the 2000s. And that was he's kind of like Um, that all said on the other end of the spectrum. uh, I've certainly heard from a lot of different folks that what they want to do now that Robert Downey Jr. is no longer in the MCU. They want to use Doctor Strange as the Iron Man to kind of push things forward. I don't know necessarily where he's going to end up with that. And we can talk about that later on in the podcast. But I think that both of those things really emphasize your point, well, Justin. I, yeah. I think like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, 
Benedict Cumberbatch is a star, and uh, it's mm-hmm. getting harder and harder to have those. You know, he's starring in movies, and he's a known name outside of it. And also, and the MCU has really had a hard time having hits with lesser-known characters. And I think Doctor Strange before these movies was a lesser-known character. So it's a, it's a, I think it's unusual how uh, how well Doctor Strange has done and how well he's he's in uh, my kids' brains now. You know, compared to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my understanding of him as, you know, reading comics as a kid, you know? Well, I think that's a great point. And I think a big part of that, and maybe the best use of the Dr. Strange has been in the Spider-Man movie where he, he yeah. feels like he, he gets to be mostly funny, uh, like a little bit magic and uh, a little bit of a hero, but mostly also, just like on the outside. You know? Also Thor Ragnarok, he was great in. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, like you're saying, that's how he often works best in the Marvel Universe. There's been some great solo series that he's been in, Doctor Strange, The Oath, which was by Brian K. Vaughn, I think. Yes, love that. Awesome. And they certainly pulled on that a little bit for this movie. But he is that character who lives at 177A Bleecker Street. He's in the Sanctum Sanctorium. Spider-Man crashes through his window. Is like, help, a magic guy is chasing me. He's like, no problem, I'm on it. I'll see you next issue. And that's kind of just, he's one of these characters that I think really helps flesh out the world. But to Matt's point and what he's saying in terms of like him sticking in kids' brains and stuff, I do think a large part of that is the costume, which they spend a lot of time building over the course of this movie from him just wearing his regular Dr. Crows to being a down on his luck urchin who has nothing except for a broken watch to his name to then you start to get the red and blue outfit. And then you add the eye of Agamotto that's hanging there on the chain. And then you add the cloak and then that big moment three quarters of the way through the movie where he's fighting Casilius in the Sanctum Sanctorium. And he just floats upwards with the coke behind him. And you know, behind the scenes, they were like, this is our costume reveal. This is the big moment. And I think like, He's a cool superhero magician. What is it neat about that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the magical yeah. cloak stuff alone was uh, worth the price of a mission. That was just so much fun. Yeah, and how much did you pay in 2006 dollars, Pete? Oh, it's... Uh, 2016, excuse me. Yeah, 2016. No, Pete uh, only yeah, spends 2006 dollars, if I remember. <laughs> That's the weird part, yeah. You're like Two-Face, but it's all coins from 2006. <laughs> I went back in time and got a bunch Tales, of cash. I don't go see this movie in 3D. I see it in 2D. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt, you look like you were going to say something about the cloak before... I made my oh, that, that, that's the kind of thing that I feel like uh, in movies from what my childhood got wrong. Like I think it's, like that's a fun thing from the comic, and I feel like they do proper use of it. It's not an overused gag. They don't send the cape off on its own adventure or something, you know, like whatever. It's like it just occasionally you're reminded, like, oh yeah, that cloak has can do its own thing, you know, or it can help yeah. them. Um, but I, I think that they pulled it off very well. Uh, that aspect. well, that's it. A- not to keep drawing parallels to Iron Man, but it's sort of like the armor. The armor um, over the time has a little bit of personality, um, eventually becoming Ultron, really. Uh, but uh, it, right, it's but a, an, an extension. There are times in, in the Iron Man series where, like, you know, he's not really there. Uh, it's just his armor, yeah. that kind of stuff. And that got, that got a little right. tired for me. I got a little yeah. like, all right, is he everywhere and nowhere? That's not really... I don't if if, if if Iron Man is being lazy and omnipotent, I'm not really that's not my favorite plot point, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, like uh, so I'd like that the cape doesn't take on too much of an outsized role. 
Yeah, it's super fun, and there's a lot of fun bits throughout the movie with the cape. Uh, what is it? Does he call it the cape or the cloak? I always mess it up, and I know that's a bit in the second movie. Is it? Yeah, cloak. Just, cloak. just you edit the I mean, show, right? So just say cloak. Yes, Alex, could we get a couple? Could you say cloak three times and cape three times, cloak. and I'll pick the best cloak. take? Cloak, cape, cape, cape. Ooh, a little more a, variation, really. And you know, Anna, you're swallowing well, a lot of the cloak. Cape, cape, cape. You can use that, right? Yeah, that's no problem. Cape, cape, cape. I'll leave all of this. There's enough pauses in there, right? <laughs> you can cut those out. <laughs> uh, editor me afterwards is shaking his fist at <laughs> The Editor Alex hates all of us. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. The... Uh, I, there's a couple of fun bits throughout the movie with it. One where he's fighting Casilius for the first time and he runs for this big axe on the wall and the cape is pulling him back towards the, I don't even know what you call it, like the uh, suit of armor thing that goes around Casilius and kind of holds him down. That's very fun. The thing after he says goodbye to Christine in the operating room and they just pause for a moment and the cape just sort of comes up and wipes yeah. the tears off of his eyes and he's yeah. like, stop it. Very funny as well. And it's fun. I, I like those bits. I like that in the middle of a movie that can be very serious at times, and it doesn't necessarily feel like it doesn't necessarily feel like the MCU humor that I feel like has come under fire, particularly recently for being of the "so that just happened" type. So much as actually good physical comedy bits, which I yeah. appreciate a lot more. Also, the fun like uh, Mister Doctor exchange where. Mads is talking to him and he's like, you know, what's your name? He's like, Mr. Doctor. Yeah. He says, oh, he says, uh, what's your name? And he says, oh, he says, Miss, hey, Mr. Yeah. And then Dr. Strange says, doctor. Uh, and he says, Mr. Doctor. Mr. doctor. And yeah. he says, actually strange. And he's like, yes, very. Well, anyway, let's move on with this scene. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's very, like, old-timey bits that are... Yeah, the old who's on first fun. Well, you mentioned Mads. Why don't we talk about Cassilius as the villain of the movie? Uh, this is somebody who is uh, C-level, D-level, E-level, something like that in the comics. I didn't even really know the name, to be perfectly honest with you, the first time I watched the movie through. Um, what do you think about Mads Michelson and these zealots who are trying to bring the dark dimension to Earth? Justin? Well, I think anytime oh, you yeah. add Mads, you know, it kind of elevates the C-list villain a little bit because Mads is going to kill it. So, uh, yeah, I thought casting-wise it was really cool and um, well done. Mads is scary. He's a scary dude. And, yeah. like, he, his face just uh, is – is good villain face. Mm -hmm. And I mean that as a compliment. He Maybe he's nice, but his name is Mads. So I don't know. <laughs> good I like it. I like because like, I, I haven't heard of him good. That means there's going to be more of these movies. It feels like wrestling where you have someone put someone over. They mm -hmm. bring in Mads to put Dr. Strange over into yeah. the true hero universe. And he's going to go back to being a heel somewhere else. Well, it's also interesting because, you know, we have him, but we have Mordo as sort of the um, the setup here. And really, he's the villain we expect mm -hmm. from the jump here. Also, great um, casting for Mordo as well. Oh, I love Chiwetel Ojiofor is so, Ejiofor is so good. I love him in um, Serenity. He is one of my favorite absolute villain roles of all time. Yeah, he's awesome. I, I will say, not to contradict Matt, but I feel like the opposite end of the spectrum. It does strike me a little bit like that very 
okay, we're going to do the first movie, we're going to get all this stuff out of the way, and then you're going to get the real movie as the second movie. Yeah. And the weird part here is we never got the second movie as the second movie. Um, we have that end credits tag with Mordo yeah. coming out and saying that there are too many sorcerers in the world. He takes many back sorcerers. the magic from Benjamin Bratt so that now oh, he can't walk anymore. What a cameo, emotional roller coaster that was. Yeah, you, are you talking Benjamin about Benjamin Bratt? It, yeah. Uh, Pangborn? Yeah, Pangborn. Yep. We're Pangborn. talking Pangborn? Classic yeah, talking Pangborn. Yeah, Jonathan uh, Pangborn, bro. Uh, <laughs> Pang- Pangborn is one of those names like, like Pete suddenly alive again here in this commentary. Um, I feel like like it's like Porgs, Pangborn. It's these words that exist well beyond the movie and character. Like Pangborn's a, a name that flies through my brain randomly. And I'm like, what does that mean? Something about Pangborn, it, it haunts me. It's definitely, though, uh, particularly as they've never followed up on that end credits, and then we get Doctor Strange of the Multiverse of Madness, where Mordo shows up, but it's this alternate universe Mordo that has a different relationship with a different Doctor Strange. Maybe they will follow up on it in Doctor Strange 3 or something like that, but it seemed like such a clear plot set up for a sequel that never getting that in retrospect makes me feel like, well, they should have just started with that like that's why, yeah that's why don't we thing. start I, there i, I exactly. do agree with you on that for sure i mean the multiverse of madness is sloppy mm-hmm. uh it feels like it should have been one of those it, probably a bunch of wise they couldn't do it but it felt like it should have been one of those two tv shows there's too many good ideas unexplored everything's just so so brief they create characters that you're like oh cool and then they're just gone in the next scene you know like it's yeah. just there's just uh there's so many things going on and also it's Magic and multiverse. It's like it's so hard. <laughs> like how many <laughs> how many things do you want me to disbelieve and or keep track of? And well, I, of I think it's even harder because not to talk too much about the second one, but when you're adding in multiverse, you already have in this first one introducing dimensions. And again, we talked about this I think way back with Miss Marvel, but kind yeah. of the way that it works, and it seems pretty normal to comic book readers, but I feel like it is too much for just a general audience. Is you have the Marvel universe, and then you have like this stack of dimensions, like the mirror dimension and the dark dimension and all these different dimensions. And they're all part of the same plane, but then the multiverse, you have another universe that also has that stack of dimensions. So in multiverse of madness, you have all of that stuff going on. And like you're saying, Matt, it just, it doesn't add up to anything. I don't, I don't know where my home base is. It's up to madness. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. they, They accomplish it. They created madness. (laughs) Well, to compare those directly, and I think you touched on this a little earlier, Justin, but there's this great sequence when Doctor Strange finally gets to Comertage and the Ancient One is showing him, no, we're not just, you know, some silly cult or Eastern medicine thing that's faking all of this. This is real and sends him on a journey through all of these different dimensions. And it's very cool. Like, it's... He gets sucked into an eyeball. There's a butterfly there. He gets stretched apart. There's a brief thing where he goes through the quantum realm, which we see in the Ant-Man movies, among other things. Uh, And visually, I think, oh, there's even like that dimension where there's all these hands reaching out to grab him. And then he looks at his hands and his hands become smaller hands that become smaller hands. 
classic. Uh, very yeah, freaking freaking out. Freaking out. Wait, 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 Alex, how is that classic? classic. Yeah. How is that? How is that? <laughs> I don't mean to that classic. It is it's the classic. Ford Mustang of hand. <laughs> Back in his day, Shakespeare was writing those scenes in King oh, Lear. <laughs> true. How can we do this? Shakespeare turned to his troop of actors. <laughs> and they're like, Doth my hands be made of many hands? <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, contrasting that directly, like watching that scene again, reminded me of the scene in Multiverse of Madness where he and America Chavez are falling through the multiverse, and it right. feels like they're falling through various screensavers when it happens. Like comparing those two sequences, the visual inventiveness of what happens in the first movie versus like, ah, eh, we're briefly paint now. Here's some dinosaurs or whatever. It's just it's a huge step down. I felt like. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Classic. Classic. <laughs> Classic. Let's talk about some other characters well, in this movie. Oh, yes. Go ahead. You Pete. brought up the ancient one. I think we have to say, you know, maybe not the best casting, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I mean, talking about just general, maybe negatives about the movie, the the bald Tilda. Like, I think, um, obviously, the uh, the fact that they uh, chose a, a, a white woman to play the ancient one mm-hmm. is one of the most suspicious ca- casting choices in all of the MCU. Which they've apologized for yeah. later on. Doesn't necessarily make it right, but Kevin Feige recently, I think in the past year or two, came out and was like, yeah, that was not the smartest decision. And I think even at the time they were aware, uh, for those listening who aren't aware, the Ancient One was a very Fu Manchu stereotype in the comics. Of course, they didn't want to do that. They were trying to do different types of casting anyway, like Mordo in this is a black man. He is a white man in the comics. So they were doing stuff like that and trying to change it up a little bit. They had had an idea of making the Ancient One a woman, but they got kind of stuck on the idea of, okay, uh, Phil, if you have a... Asian woman, a woman of Asian descent who is a older woman, then you're going the dragon lady stereotype. And if you're going super young, then you're doing some sort of like fad boy fantasy type stereotype thing. And I think my guess is they just overthought it way too much. They said it was see uh, Robert Cargill. Or just shy of the right amount of time to think about it. It was just shy. Like, if maybe they thought yeah. about it a little bit more, they would have been like, you know. Well, what, what do you again, think? If you're, if, you, if you're wondering whether this parallels to magic, there is a definite history of, uh, of, yeah. of magic treating Asian stuff as sacred. And that seeming awesome at the time and now seeming totally stereotypical and disrespectful now. So <laughs> do you feel like I well mean, to ask about that, is there a movement to actually get those aspects out of magic and out of magic acts and push them forward into a more modern context? Yes. Uh, you know, like there's literally things like called like Chinese sticks that they're trying to rename as, as you know, just magic sticks, uh, linking rings. You'll hear a lot of times forever. Those are only referred to as Chinese linking rings, you know, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the most famous example was basically there's a Scottish magician who uh, basically saw Asian magicians getting booked more than he was, and he was pissed. So he committed to a life of Asian face where he oh. renamed himself mm. Chung Ling Su and performed and lived as an Asian person in real life, complete with a translator he didn't need uh, wow. to, to the end of his days. <laughs> wow. And by the end of his days, he accidentally killed himself doing the bullet catch. 
So that's Chung Ling Su. And you and do an after show <laughs> podcast for him too, right? <laughs> I do. Yeah, all of his shows. I go <laughs> back and I well after, <laughs> deeply after, I talk, <laughs> much after. I talk to his translator. Uh, well, what do you think? I mean, not to piggyback it here, but given they kind of talk themselves into a corner, see uh, Robert Cargill, who's one of the co-writers, referred to it once as a Kobayashi Maru, the no-win scenario from Star Trek, which yeah. I, I don't know if that's true. Like, I feel like they could have figured out another way of doing it. Uh, what would have been the right way to cast the agent one? I don't know. You know, like, you know, I think, didn't they try to clean up some of this in Shang-Chi? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. well, that was they the... cleaned up the Mandarin thing a little bit in Shang-Chi. Yeah, yeah. Not right. the ancient one, but right. that, that was something I feel like they messed with in a totally different way, potentially. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think people, I, you know, but I, I think that the MCU's been so successful as creating a universe that, like, in the history of film, we've never seen anything like it, so everything gets super precious. But I think you can just go and clean up mistakes sometimes and just say, like, this is actually the thing. <laughs> you know, like, actually just cast it right, get it right, and then just go forward with that as a story, and I think people will be okay with it yeah. more than you'd think. Yeah, 100%. Yes. So uh, mistakes were made there. What were you going to say, Justin? I was going to say, I, I guess, another thing that I think is worth talking about, what do we think about the romance in this uh, movie? Right, well, first off, you... Oh, interesting. Trap. Pete, whoa, Pete's going to jump whoa. in on this. <laughs> We're talking about Rachel McAdams here, okay? Mm-hmm. So the, no negativity should be said out loud. I mean, this is I'm you're going to have a one. love interest. I mean, come I on. Mean, I, I love her too. I think um, you know McAdams, Gosling. Like I think we're here for it. The Notebook. Yeah, Pete, you're yeah. crying Even right game, now. Game night, uh, McAdams, Bateman, chemistry yeah. Yeah. there. Awesome. Just a big, big Rachel McAdams fan. I love. She's great. I would argue no chemistry here. <laughs> left, they left the chemistry set at home on this one. Well, that's the thing. If you do too much, I mean, you don't believe that Doctor Strange would kind of like not be with McAdams. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like Wait, they did you a say? good job of keeping <laughs> Is that them. A logic? Uh, <laughs> you, you, they kept him away enough where it was like, okay, you didn't really. You know what I mean? Because like, who wouldn't give up their whole life to be with McAdams? You know what I mean? So it's like you got to believe that you got to keep them far enough apart where you're like, okay, he should pursue this. I feel like Pete has caught himself in a logical, uh, no specific nationality finger trap at this point. Yes, that's a hundred percent. In fact, now they're calling it a Pete finger trap. They're changing the name officially. Um, Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if I buy Pete's logic on that. I just think the chemistry doesn't really work here. The best version of this relationship, I think, was in the What If episode Mm. that played out um, last year. Yeah, I I, I can agree with that. I think they made a choice, apparently, to have – what's her name? Christine – I don't know. That's a problem. Rachel McAdams? What are you yeah, talking Rachel about? Rachel McAdams. The character well, name. Wow. Yeah. Rachel McAdams. <laughs> nurse. We're talking about lady. McAdams here. What are you doing? <laughs> okay. Alex, part of love is not remembering the person you love's character name. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel McAdams uh, specifically wanted to come on board. She was interested to do it. And they talked a lot about not having it being a typical love interest, but instead they had the relationship before the movie started. Right. So they felt that could send them in a different direction. But I agree with you, Justin. I do think that direction they sent them in is there's no real chemistry there. You don't necessarily have a love story and it's not 100% clear why Rachel McAdams is in this movie. I, sorry, the, 
If you have <laughs> an opportunity to get McAdams, you get McAdams. If you okay? have an opportunity to get McAdams, get her and give her something awesome. Jessica Chastain was up for the role. She's been up for several roles in the MCU, and it's always ex-girlfriend role or girlfriend role or whatever. And she's repeatedly been like, I don't want to do that. If you're, I, I have one chance to be in the MCU. I'm going to take the part that's going to make me front and center the hero. Gene right Gray. here. Let's go. There you go. I, I yeah, I, I think I think it's annoying. I when I see the uh the uh hey we broke up but should we get back together again in a superhero movie, I'm like, who is this for? It's not for my kids, right? <laughs> like they're not gonna be like, Oh, I hope breakup people work it out. <laughs> I don't yeah. you know what I mean? Like or like is 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 it for kids of divorced parents to be like ah see I feel seen I don't know like like really they're like I go through that <laughs> and then as a parent you're like I brought my kid to this movie I don't want to relive things about my ex girlfriends you know like I don't want to go there emotionally with my empathy it's a weird it's a weird thing to be like aha we're gonna do it this way that's different. Uh, this is much more emotionally painful and less rewarding. (laughs) On the flip side, though, she is part of one of the best sequences in the movie, which is Doctor Strange gets attacked at the Sanctum Sanctorium. He gets mortally wounded, immediately goes to the hospital where she's working, and she has to bring him back to life while being coached by his astral projection while he is also fighting another evil astral projection. It's great. It's very tense. Great. It's a fun sequence. Yeah. This was apparently Scott Derrickson, who was in the running along with a ton of other directors for this movie, spent, uh, I don't know the actual amount. I don't think he's ever talked about it, but apparently thousands and thousands of dollars of his own movie to produce an animatic, essentially a demo reel of what this would look oh. like and show it to Marvel and be like, this is why I should get the movie. And they liked it so much. They bought it from him and put it as one of the centerpieces there. She works really well in that. I wish I wish she was more part of the main action because she feels like she's part of the beginning, she's part of this emotional journey goes on, and then she disappears in the finale. But that's the perfect amount of McAdams there because you okay. want you want more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they did it just perfectly <laughs> enough where you're upset that you didn't get more with her. If any women are listening to this podcast right now, and I highly doubt there are, uh, just know that <laughs> Pete, <laughs> Pete uh, if he's dating you, he wants you to go on an emotional journey with him, grow as a person, then disappear. Right, That's Pete? Not yeah. what, how dare you, sir? How dare Pete, you? Pete wants a Pringles relationship. If where anyone, you, you know. Any I'm women a bird, or, you're or, a bird. What are you talking about? You don't even. <laughs> what? Yeah, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about the notebook. About? I'm talking about McAdams is uh, what I'm talking about. I've never seen it. Yeah, wow. exactly. When are we doing that podcast? <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he, that'll be an intense one. Um, here's a th- another thing. Is this movie basically best known at this point for introducing Wong to the exactly. MCU? Is he the, the is he the most important character? Is he the most important character to come out of this movie? I think I walked away from this movie thinking I want a Wong and magical cloak movie next was my kind of got that. Yeah. Which is great. I think you've gotten that several times over. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what do you think about Wong as a character? uh, I mean, this is one of those things where like, uh, I think it's, you know, uh, proof of progress. Like I think this, this guy would just be comedic sidekick only. Uh, and maybe stereotypically so, and then the other thing, the fact that he is now a thriving character that we like seeing him show up in his own right uh, in different places uh, in movies and TV shows, um, and that his character is, is, is three-dimensional. 
that he is uh, he is both passionate and caring and ambitious and everything else that goes along with it. I think it's a really cool um, thing. Is Wong a big character in the comic book? I didn't read Doctor Strange. So comic. this is another one that they no. kind of <laughs> yes, Pete, fuck you. Uh, Pete he wasn't really, before. Yeah, he mostly he's the Alfred type. Yes, yeah. Pete. Well, Alfred, you know, still a great character. You know what I mean? I'm not so saying what the fuck? It's bad. Saying just, it's bad. Just, just ask the tens of people watching Pennyworth. <laughs> yeah. Um. yeah, he was basically an assistant, and this is another place where they wanted to really shake things up a little bit, not just have him be the Asian butler who is helping uh, Stephen Strange out and really supporting him, but instead took him, made him somebody who has uh, is managing the library, is working to protect the world, um, is part of the main action, and... Uh, whether they're successful or not, I guess up to you. But to Justin's point, he's become increasingly more important throughout the MCU. And I think a yeah. lot of that is on display here with he's really good at deadpan humor. Like uh, the scenes where Doctor Strange is just trying to make him laugh and he's not cracking a smile. Very fun. Yeah. 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 So good stuff. Uh, I think we've covered most of the main characters a couple of quick. Oh, we didn't, of course, talk about Michael Stolberg shows up here as Nicodemus. I'm forgetting the last name. I'm sorry. Pete probably knows it, but doesn't want to say it. Uh, McAdams. McAdams. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. He doesn't get to do much, but Nicodemus West, I think, is what it is. West, uh, but yeah. he has a very fun bit in Multiverse of Madness where he sees. Doctor Strange at the funeral, and he's like, well, I lost everything in the five years. I'm really glad you're a hero. So yeah. even his payoff yeah. for that, very good. Uh, I mentioned the ghost fight. Uh, one thing we talk about is the mirror dimension. There's this amazing mirror dimension chase that happens with Cassilius and his zealots with Doctor Strange and Mordo, where they're in super danger there. Um, Matt, to go back to you, I know mirrors are a big part of a magic act. They <laughs> <laughs> sure are. Yeah. How loud walking that around? They're also a big part of uh, <laughs> Tupac and, uh, and Whitney's holograms performing. Uh, That's true. As well, uh, let so. me just say, I they're a big part of my day in the yeah. morning getting ready. I look in, I look in them. <laughs> this is why we have a podcast is to bring up points like this. Absolutely. You know, uh, I actually, my favorite thing to bring up is actually Teller tellers has one of my favorite quotes about magic and magic secrets, which is that secrets aren't important. It's that they're ugly, right? Like when you mm. see a beautiful magic trick, it is, you see something really awesome uh, and beautiful and your mind makes up this beautiful picture and when you find out it's the blank method, then it is uh, uh, often like ugly and ruins the trick for you. So it's not that. that it's like passing on secrets is so important. It's just that you're, you, you risk ruining the beauty of something that someone else created. Um, well, and I, I think that's such a great message. And I also think it's not for – everyone treats it like these magicians have to keep their secrets. It's for them. It's actually for you, the audience. Like they, the whole thing true. is yeah. protecting them from – protecting the magic so that you get to walk away believing in something or seeing something amazing without having to know how it works. Yeah. I mean, when I first worked for Penn and Teller, I uh, was there as a non-magic guy. So like everyone in the room would be like, everyone knows this. And I'd be like, no one knows that, you know, whatever that kind of <laughs> stuff. Or I'd say, I don't know how to do this, but if you could have a floating uh, big chicken here uh, for your intro, uh, that'd be really funny to do that as a transition to whatever. And I'd be like, you guys come up with a way to do that, but I'm writing floating chicken, you know, um, <laughs> and, and that was all fine and good until I started working on fool lessons around rehearsals. And all of a sudden 
I began a, 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 an unfair crash course of magic knowledge, <laughs> um, uh, which, which you know, uh, I, I, I found so exciting I pursued. So now, I've, now, now I tour as a comedy magician. Um, but yeah, I, I think like, you know, I think the hardest part is that when uh, movies and stuff embrace magic, you kind of like are stuck in this trap where you want it to be real, like a magician, but you want, but, but actually learning methods is gross and no one's into it. Uh, and so you're always in that weird corner. Um, you know, uh, this is currently a show with Chris Angel uh, that no one watched. The Mind Freak? No, no. He has a new show where he teaches celebrities magic and celebrities perform magic. And it just premiered on CW and got a zero rating. Um, oh, wow. A zero? <laughs> yeah. Is that part of the magic? Is the magic that he got a zero? <laughs> it's a quick way to make the show disappear. He took all the, exactly. listeners, <laughs> took all the listeners into a box and a flattened yeah. version of the yeah, ball. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the bottom. And even they changed the channel. <laughs> the flat. No, it was uh, watching, peop- watching people learn magic methods, uh, you know, the, the whole idea is that you, you, you work on dumb things no one would do hundreds of times so that it looks like you natural when you do it in front of an audience. You know, that watching that process take place is not exciting to anyone. You know, <laughs> much as we don't watch NBA players practice foul shots. Like it's just it's, we're not there for that. You know, so uh, we think we are interested in magic methods, but we're not at all actually interested in magic methods. Uh, mm. Well, uh, that said, we do get some great training sequences with Doctor Strange in this movie, <laughs> which are very fun. And what other moments did we notice? What do we want to call out, Pete? I'm sure you have some weird, specific thing you'd like to mention for the movie. That uh, no, we we hit my, all my bullet points. I was excited. We got to talk about Wong and Rachel McAdams. So uh, you know, I mean, that's all I need from this movie. There you go, Justin. What about you? Any moments you want to call out in particular? Uh, I think, I mean, we sort of did, but I, I think it's the, this movie does a good job of using, uh, sort of paying homage to stuff that's come before. Like there's a lot of inception here in the, some of the action yeah. sequences. There's some matrix. Um, they, they do a good job of, of touching those things without it feeling like a ripoff, which I think is, um, uh, something of other movies have struggled with. Black Adam is the one I'm talking about. Oh, and, on, um, I think, seen, uh, you haven't even seen it yet. Yeah, you're right. What? What? <laughs> yes, nope. we did. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what? I think you're. Are you in a time? Some sort of time uh, sizzle stick. A well, sizzle stick is wrapped. This part out. Anyway, cape, cape, uh, cloak, cloak, cloak. Yes, Scott Derrickson. <laughs> Scott Derrickson talked a little bit about this that people criticized when the trailer came out. They're like, "Oh, this just looks like Inception." And he was like, "Exactly what you're saying, Justin. That no, we pull on the movies that have come out before, and that movie at that point had come out seven years before Doctor Strange. So they were thinking about those techniques. How could they push them forward? How can they explore that in different ways? And I do think they really did a very good job. Uh, another thing which probably gets to a little bit of the matrixy bullet time thing you're talking about, which we didn't really talk about much yet, is the conclusion of the movie, which is this reversal time fight where they have like a very classic Watchmen. I did it 35 minutes ago where they get to the Hong Kong Sanctum Sanctorium and it's already been destroyed. And Dormammu has been let loose and the dark dimension is going all over Hong Kong. So they reverse time, but lock themselves in place. So they are able to fight forward through everything as the destruction is reversing itself. So cool. 
It's yeah. really awesome. It's that very cool ass. to watch. Very fun. Uh, and then it ends in this very surprising sequence, which is the conclusion of the movie, where what Doctor Strange realizes is he doesn't have to fight and destroy Dormammu. He just comes to bargain. So yeah, he's got to outlast him. Exactly. And so he locks him in this time loop. And uh, even though there is, like I was talking about, a lot of exposition throughout the movie, a lot of different sequences that are just over and over being like, here's how this world works and here's how magic works. This really gets back to his emotional journey, which he doesn't want to hurt people. He talks about like, I'm a doctor. I want to do no harm. So how can he solve this situation in a way where nobody really gets hurt? Nobody gets killed. And that's ultimately what he does. And it's very cool and very simple. And it is better to Cumberbatch acting opposite himself. But uh, I really it's one of my favorite conclusions in the MCU, just because it's not about like throwing a villain off a building or killing them or blowing them up in some way. Yeah, and just going forward, like in your personal lives, like I've tried this tactic in a bar fight and it doesn't work. Oh, yeah, yeah. good to know. Um, good really to know. hard to create a time loop in a bar, yeah. in the middle of a bar after and you you've start had several backwards things. as mm-hmm. stuff and happens. Like you're just moving backwards. Time yeah. is moving backwards. You're just, well, but I'm saying when I start moving backwards, the person I'm fighting with doesn't. Is that's yeah. the real problem? Oh. <laughs> you got to talk to them about it beforehand. That's the you, thing. Yeah. You yell as you cup your bleeding nose. You yell. I thought we were fighting backwards. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> uh, percent. Speaking of the ending, like the post uh, credits was so good, they kind of took that and put it right in the Thor movie. Well, that's a classic MCU thing to do, where they have somebody who is shooting the next movie, they pull the seat out, and they put it in there. Uh, one of the nice little bits there is when we were talking about building the costume. We don't get to see this, but in that scene, he's wearing the classic yellow Doctor Strange gloves, which I don't think he's wearing in the actual movie Thor Ragnarok, but I honestly don't remember very well. But, you know, that's kind of fun. Uh, yeah. A couple of other quick notes, and then we'll move and talk about the future before we wrap up here. So there's a bit where Christine, after she says goodbye to Doctor Strange, he goes back to the portal to the sanctum where a broom falls and scares her. Apparently, yeah, that was real. That is that was real. Because <laughs> Rachel McAdams is just like you know what I mean. She's uh, uh, she's one scared of, the of brooms. One of the greatest. Yeah. You no, find it is. attractive. I don't know if you're joking, she's... Pete, but that was actually a real thing. That I know. Happened. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the you, one what fact you guys about. don't know is that a broom killed Rachel McAdams' parents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's why. why it's so, yeah. so startling. He, he may not have rewatched. He rewatched Rachel McAdams in every aspect of her life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other last thing that I wanted to mention, we did talk about the Stan Lee cameo here. He is in a bus during the mirror dimension fight. Uh, but talking about next movies, this is, there's kind of like a sad dude to here that I, I hesitate to get to, but that was part of four cameo sequences that James Gunn filled with Stan Lee during one day. And this was very much there. It is like, we don't know how much longer he's going to be around. Let's film his bed. Bank him. Yeah, let's yeah. bank him. Uh, but one fun thing that I didn't know is they, James Gunn filled a bunch of different options with Stan Lee to send to Scott Derrickson. The one they ended up with, he's reading Aldous Huxley's Doors of Perception. But a couple of other options, the two others that jumped out to me. One, he's reading the book. He turns to somebody on the bus and he says, what does Excelsior mean? Fun. And the other one, instead of that book, he was reading Garfield, and the line was going to be, he hates Mondays, but loves lasagna. <laughs> Which, 
Would have been great. How do you not use that? <laughs> Apparently, it was too long for the sequence. Uh, I don't know. That's wow. worth but, it. I don't yeah. care. Come on. Get them. Yeah, we can, We'll see else. that clip. We'll, we'll see release that clip the release the yeah, cut. Release the Garfield cut. Wow. Release the Garfield cut. All right. Before we wrap up here, why don't we move to our vision board section where we talk about what is next for this franchise for Doctor Strange. We know, of course, that he showed up in, like we talked about, Infinity War, Endgame, No Way Home. He had the Doctor Strange sequel. But where would you want to see Doctor Strange show up next other than, of course, uh, at your house, Pete? (laughs) With Rachel McAdams. Exactly. As long as Rachel's there, you know. (laughs) <laughs> and no brooms. Yes. No Get brooms. every broom out of here. Yeah. <laughs> how many how do brooms do you hang out, Pete? How do you clear out brooms without a broom, though, right? You know? Oh, wow. You know what I'm yeah. about. Can't sweep them. Where would you like to see him show up next, Justin? Um, I mean, I, I think, like we've said, Doctor Strange is a little bit of the hook going forward here. Uh, for as much as Ant-Man seems to be the big introduction of Kang and a shift in that direction, I think Doctor Strange is our Iron Man. So I think we're going to see plenty of him going forward. Yeah. Pete, where would you like to see him show up? Well, I I hope he's going to show up in a, a lot of different people's stuff. Um but I also hope that we do get the ending that we were kind of promised here, where uh, you know we get we get a continuation of that post credits would be nice in number three. That's a great idea. And Matt, I'll throw out to you: How do you think Benedict Cumberbatch, the real person, would do if he went on Fool Us? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, he'd be so overly confident that I know Penn and Teller would want to take him down. You know, so <laughs> they would not go lightly. Let go lightly on him. Uh, I also want to answer your first question, which the notebook two is still out there. And I mm. think I'd call it the second notebook and then, uh, <laughs> and then just really focus on the romance part. Um, it's the origin story that they, they, they skipped that I want back. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's quite a reveal to retcon um, James Garner as a post Dr. Strange, Dr. Strange in a Rachel McAdams romance. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I think Doctor Strange would do would do fine. I mean, if he's using proprietary technology, that's really hard to bust. Mm. So um, if he just uses it for a mentalist routine, then they'll just say tech and, and no trophy. But if he really makes something happen on stage and they don't know how, then that would be uh, the trophy would come down. Uh, no problem for Benedict. All right. I'm hoping we see that happen. Matt, before we let you go, I know we plugged up a couple of things at the top. What yeah. Would you like to plug? Where should people check you out? Going from magic to comedy ratio. So I go from, if you, if you like magic, mm. behind the scenes of magic, you can follow both my touring career. I interview magicians. I do behind the scenes of Fool's episodes. We break down David Copperfield specials. Um, we may be take on that Chris Angel show I talked about, <laughs> although I'm debating it. Um, that's all at abracababble.com. That costs you two bucks. And two bucks is the price that keeps uh, – petty magicians from yelling exposure at you on the street. <laughs> so turns out $2 is the key there. Uh, then I co-host Penn Sunday School with Penn Gillette. So it's more of the comedy, a little bit about his magic career. But uh, I have a great time talking with Penn. Penn's a great storyteller, great talker. If you uh, love Penn and Teller, you love Penn Sunday School. And then, of course, uh, I uh, do a podcast with a giant man-child living in his toy basement in Pittsburgh, Paul Mattingly. Um, <laughs> we do Mad Mattingly's Ice Cream Social. It is a ridiculous, uh, uh, funny comedy podcast. We kind of talk about behind-the-scenes stuff in Vegas, behind-the-scenes of our own lives. We do jock versus nerd trivia uh, every, at the end of every episode. 
Um, and that one, we're coming up on episode uh, 945. So if, you're, wow. if you have like a, a, a busy uh. job, if you, if you are like a laborer, if you have a long commute, uh, pick up Matt and Manley's Ice Cream Social there. Awesome. That's Whoa. great. Yeah. And if you want to get something great for your kids this holiday season, yeah. I'd recommend JT Sizzle Sticks. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a great gift that keeps yeah. on giving. Matt, it's so great to see you, man. Uh, I'm just so happy to kind of uh, be able to catch up a little bit. Absolutely. I miss you guys so much. This is so great. I was, I was like hyper. I was like a hyper child this morning. <laughs> and if you would like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about the MCU. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Marvel Vision Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. Until next time, stay marvelous. Marvelous.